Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast that's all in the name. Good coffee with great conversation. Here's your host, Larry Vincent. Yes, it is. I am. And with that, welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast. I am your host, Larry Vincent. And with me today uh, is a, uh, a friend and one of our residents uh, for uh, CTP, uh, Stephen Wells. Welcome, Stephen. Hello. Thank you for having me. And, and since you did uh, bring it up, uh, yes, I do have a smart mug. Now, what you don't know is if I can tap here, see if it works, or the battery's dead. It's not too smart. It's not. The battery's dead. I didn't charge it. But it says, peace, love, and soul on the bottom. It's a little digital uh, sign. So You're special. I am special. I am. And, and since we are making fun of coffee choices... Uh, let's let's talk about yours, Stephen. Uh, you know, look, uh, we are. Uh, you know, I'm an understanding guy. I, I like to think. You know, I, I like to show a lot of grace. You know, most of the most of the people who come on my podcast don't even drink coffee. You know, and that's a problem because this is called coffee and conversation, not drink of your choice in conversation, right? But you, you have decided to come onto my show. And put in your cup creamer and Starbucks mocha sauce. To be fair, it's milk. Okay. We didn't have any creamer. Oh, you didn't have creamer. So, all right. I can give you. I can give you milk. I can give you milk. A nice latte. Nothing wrong with a nice latte. So basically, you're coffee shaming me. I am coffee shaming you. Yes. At least I'm drinking coffee. Yes. Yes. Uh, I am shaming you because let me tell you, my good friends at Hoosier Warrior Coffee who have kindly donated uh, the coffee for uh, for the podcast. Uh, you got to enjoy it black, man. Black. But I understand you wanna you wanna put some milk and milk in there. That's fine. Uh, this is the first. This is a coffee and conversation first, Stephen. Usually the French press is uh, done before we start, but not today. Today is the first time I am pushing down on the French press while we're recording. And let me tell you, there is nothing more satisfying to me than pushing down a French press. I'm glad that I'm so special that you don't prepare for me. <laughs> hey, listen, man. Listen, we are on location, all right? I have traveled here. Usually, I have everything set up. I had to unplug, pack, carry over, uh, without any help, by the way, uh, you know, all the podcast equipment and the coffee all equipment. Shit, <laughs> it's still equipment, all right? It's still equipment. All right, well, we have this tradition on the podcast called the first sip. So go ahead and pour yourself some coffee there. Uh, you are... Are you going to shame me for the way I pour it too? No, no, no. See, I'm not like you. I don't shame people for how they do things. Only how they drink their coffee. Only how they drink their coffee. How they drink things, sure. How they do things, no. Because, you know, if you're on our Facebook page, on the CTP Facebook page, you would you have seen uh, a virtual tour of the house and how one resident in particular uh, does not like the position in which I place the sound bar uh, next to the TV instead of under the TV, even though I had good, solid, valid reasons to do so. And ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to that man right now. He was the one who just could not, as uh, Elsa so famously says, let it go. <laughs> I'm getting the look. He's not even. He's not even saying anything. All right. Well, let's. Well, hold on. We need to bring this up. Okay. Go ahead. For one, you're completely messing up the whole aesthetic of it. 
It's completely off off balance. One shelf is messing up the entire aesthetic. You got a TV right here and your shelf over here. And besides that, it's a sound bar. It's made for directional sound and and for surrounds. It's not supposed to sound like it's coming from next to your TV. It's supposed to sound like it's coming from your TV. It's 2020. Those speakers make you feel like anywhere in the room you're watching TV. And it would be so much better if it was under the TV. Well, I tell you what, when you get to the house, feel free to uninstall and rehang. Okay. I'm done. <laughs> I only did it you one know, time. I say, if you do it right the first time. Uh, you know, I thought I did it right the first time. Now, <laughs> let's do our customary first sip. Now, you are drinking uh, who, uh, Hoosier Warrior Coffee. Not yet. Not yet. I already did. It was already running. Oh, man. All right, listen. You, you didn't explain the protocol. The ceremonial... I was going to, but you interrupted me. The ceremonial first sip will still be ceremonial. You're drinking uh, a, a basically a French press latte. And I am having a true latte that I made at home before I got here uh, because, well, I wanted coffee earlier. So, with that said, sir, let's raise our glasses and let's drink to, uh, to the podcast. Yes. What do you oh, think? It's terrible. Oh, you are the oh, worst. <laughs> You're the absolute worst. Well, uh, Stephen, let's go ahead and get started with the podcast, the actual conversation that we're here for. Uh, we are uh, doing a season uh, on, on addiction recovery, on rehab, on uh, just uh, you know helping those who are struggling with their own addiction to know that they're not alone in it. Uh, and, you know, uh, for the next four weeks, for those who are listening at home, um, or for the next four episodes, whether you binge it or not, um, we will be uh, meeting the residents of Community Transformation Partners, uh, not because we want to, uh, you know, promote CTP, that is not the point of it. Uh, it's just simply I'm lazy and I had easy access to the four of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's what we're going to be doing in the next four weeks. And so we'll get to know all of the guys. Uh, Recording-wise, I'm actually running a marathon right now because from now until uh, you know probably 5.30, 6 o'clock, uh, I will be interviewing all four of the guys. It's about a four-hour process. So with that, all that said, Stephen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, let's start with the, you know your 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 family background, your faith background. You know what was life like for Stephen growing up? Uh, I mean, it was good. I uh, my mom and her whole side of the family uh, always my entire life been believers. I was raised in the church. Uh, my dad, his side of the family, not so much. Uh, he was a big drinker and. You know, everything that comes with that, and um, grew up in Christian uh, school and church there. My mom actually, you know, I, I love my mom, and I'm so thankful for her, but she uh, she drove the bus for the school and uh, cleaned the church and the school for our tuition, so needless to say, I pretty much lived in that building. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I was there about 24-7. Whew. And... Uh, so the one place everybody wanted to get away from, <laughs> yeah, you were pretty much a resident. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, when I was a when I was a really little kid, I had I don't want to call it abnormal, but a passion 
for God and for, for Christ. Okay. Uh, funny story. I, uh, so, you know, being a child and not fully understanding marriage and, you know, all I knew was that when you love someone, yeah. you marry them. Yeah, sure. So, apparently, I used to tell my mom that I wanted to marry Barney and Jesus. Barney and Jesus. Yes. I love them both equally, apparently. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, I'm all with you on the Jesus thing. We are called the Bride of Christ in the Bible for a reason. Um, however, not the stupid purple dinosaur. No. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, even when I was a kid, uh, Barney was the worst. Uh, so, anyway, I'll just... Different strokes for different groups. No, that was a good show. <laughs> yeah, no. That was... Uh, anyway, uh, so, okay, so you had a love for Jesus, um, and, you know, the funny thing is, is, you know, that because you have this background of addiction, and we're going to talk about this in a second, um, a lot of people think that one cannot have faith and have an addiction, right? You obviously had a faith even in the midst of your addiction, is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and honestly, I, I've heard it said a lot here at Trinity and I have to completely agree that you you absolutely can yeah. have both. Um, I think it makes the addiction that much worse. How so? Conviction. Mm, yes. You know what you're doing the entire time is wrong. Yes. And, and honestly, I mean, at that point, you're, you're living outside of fellowship with God. You're living outside of his will. And so you pretty much opened yourself up for That's... all the shame and guilt that comes along with naturally with drug addiction anyway but it's just compounded because you have that moral knowledge that you are doing wrong so okay i want to i want to discuss this a little bit i mean we weren't planning on talking about this but i think this is so good uh you know one what what reminds me of what you were just saying is paul in romans 7 uh every time i wanted to do good i end up doing bad and every time i didn't want to do bad i still did the bad i didn't want to do in the first place and and that whole exchange which i always see as a conflict within paul himself coming out into this climax of paul yelling what a wretched man that i am uh, you know, uh, who will save me from this body of death? And Paul, will, Paul ha- would have said by now that the purpose of the law is to understand that we are sinners, yeah. right? And so for a Christian um, to have that kind of, uh, you know, uh, to have an addiction, you would say would be equal to that of Paul saying, what a wretched man that I am. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the scary thing about that is that when Paul was saying that, yeah, he was still, you know, at the forefront of spreading the gospel to the entire known world. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, look, but we, he obviously still had his struggles. Well, and that's the point because we put these, and I think this is why Paul said this, right? Because we put these pastors, these leaders, on this pedestal to which they do not belong. And I have said this a thousand times on the podcast. Uh, that no one deserves to be on a pedestal besides Christ, right? Um, And and that that pastors are just as sinful, well, you know what I mean, just as much of a sinner as as people who are not pastors. We're, We're no different. We're no closer to God than anybody else. Everybody has access to the same spirit. All right, we, we just have a different dedication and commitment to God than other people do. It doesn't make us any better or any worse, right? Um, but I want to push back just a little bit yeah. uh, because, you know, if I'm, if I'm a non-believer listening to this right now, the first thing that pops in my head is, well, I knew it was wrong when I was doing it. 
So what's the difference, then, in your mind between Christian conviction and non-Christian conviction? Mm. That's a good question. I only ask good ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, for one, there's the idea, the knowledge Mm -hmm. of the true repercussions of the sin that you're committing. Yes. Whereas, you know, when when you are outside of Christ, which, and don't get me wrong, I, like I said before, I was completely outside of fellowship with God. Right, but you had and, a faith, right? But, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, at that point, it's uh, more of a sociological, I'm doing something wrong. It's by yes. the world's standards, oh, my, you know, my family doesn't like what I'm doing, or the law is against the law. Yeah. Not, I'm sinning against the creator of Everything. Right. And so, yeah, no, I get you. I mean, you're right. I think you're right on. It's weightier. Mm -hmm. It's weightier because when I, when I think about, uh, you know, uh, you know, an addict who has no knowledge of God at the moment, there is a lot, there's still a lot of pain and it's valid pain. I'm not saying it's any, you know, it's a different, but um, the pain that an addict goes through as a non-Christian is I hurt my family. I hurt my society. I hurt myself. And, and the repercussions, as you say, are only within our circle, yeah. you know, our circle of influence. It is, it's a much more selfish. I'll say self-centered. Self-centered, yes. I'll yeah. say self-centered because, it, because it, it's... You it, do care about the people in yeah, the circle. Right, right. Yeah, exactly right. But it is centered on you. When it's a Christian uh, who's going through this, uh, the repercussions are more spiritual, Right, uh, you know, like if I if I don't get my stuff together now, my eternity, the consequences are are more consequential, right? They're more severe, I should say, than that of because I'm not just impacting myself; I'm impacting my eternity. Well, and and not, not to cut you off, but not oh, only do. that, but I I always had in the back of my mind too about the people that. God had intended for me to influence the people that were in my lives. And I could see people that had been in my life that was like, man, I I was supposed to be a positive influence mm. on them. And really I'm out here being, you know, nothing good. So lives. and it's it's you know, and I don't think, you know, God's plan is not our plan. He knew every mistake I was ever gonna make. Yeah. You know, can can we go the wrong way? Yeah. So, but I, I think a lot of that is the enemy getting in your head about it. Sure. But there's still that thought of, man, not only is it my life and my eternity that I could be affecting, but it very well may be someone else's. Yes. That, I mean, such a good point. And this is what we're talking about. The impact is far beyond what we realize, right? And that's true for a non-Christian or a Christian, yeah. right? Because God doesn't, God, uh, God's will is not dependent upon our Christianity, God's will is going to happen regardless of whether or not we follow it or not. Because if he if he can't use us, he'll use somebody else. And, and because God is what we say omnipotent, which is all-knowing, right? Uh, God knows uh, the beginning, uh, the present, and the end, and and you know adjusts accordingly. You know. But let me ask let me ask you this: Did you have regret? Do you have regret? Uh, for negatively influencing uh, those that you thought God sent you to positively influence? I mean, I've thought about it. Yeah. 
But at this point, you know, there's no condemnation in Christ. I'm not. I'm not going to beat myself up over mistakes that I made or, or decisions that I did or didn't make because now all I can do is be that positive positive influence, whether it's actually in person or through prayer or through whatever I'm putting out there on Facebook for people. Right. Because I'm still friends with a lot of people yeah. that are in addiction or non-believers. Um, so but, you just got to shift your focus to what you can do now. I, I, I love that. That is so important for current addicts to understand is that you can move on right um, did you did you ever have a conversation with somebody that you hurt while you had uh, while you were in your addiction was there ever a reconciliation that you had to go through with certain people my family yeah what was that like if you don't mind sharing I, you know my experience yeah. very well may be different than a lot of people's because like I said, man, I do. I have. I'm blessed that I have such good, godly people in my life, as far as my family goes, and they never gave up on me. Yeah, you know, they. So they a lot of them had to cut me out. You know what I mean? Because they just weren't going to let me be around them when I'm living that life. Right. Um, and are you back in those people's yeah, lives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not anyone in my family that I don't have. Um, you know, I, I did. I gotta think. So my cousin, yeah. Uh, at one point, when I was really bad, she wanted to help me. She said, "Hey, move in with me." She lived out in the country, out by Kokomo. Man, I was still getting high every day, and you know, taking advantage of the situation. And she ended up telling me, "I'm like, hey, you gotta go." And then we didn't talk for a long time. And that was that was one person I can actually think of that I actually had to sit down and hey, which I I think I texted her. You know, but yeah. so receptive, which I think helps once again that she is a God fearing woman, that she has that love. Um, so I think that just genuinely or generally makes you a little bit more apt to forgive. Sure, it does. You know, um, yeah. So, but you know, I, I just I owned up to the things I had done. I apologized and I asked her to forgive me. So many valid lessons to be learned from this. Number one, uh, and this is what I hear. So push back if this is not, if you don't think this is true, you know. Number number one that anybody um, can reconcile with their family once they get past their sobriety, uh, if the family is receptive. Absolutely. Right. The family has to be receptive. Yeah. I mean, that's important. Um, n- number number two that uh, I know a lot of addicts who says you know who said I've burned too many bridges. I I, I don't think. That that is a reason to keep the addiction going. Yeah. You know, so there is always hope. We 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 don't see what that looks like until we've actually done it, uh, and so we can't be held back yeah. by by the burning of the bridge. So a couple things there. One, yeah, you know, I've said it time and time again since I've been here at Trinity. I burn every bridge. Yeah. You know, what I mean, oh, now, yeah. now my mom still. Loved me from a distance, or fed me with a long handled spoon, if you will. I like that analogy. You know, she, sure. she, uh, she did what she could for me, right? But she wasn't going to enable me anymore. Mm. And uh, you know, she knew she couldn't trust me with money and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, but my, even my friends, even my drug addict friends, every bridge was burned. 
So tell me about the uh, the the how your parents responded. We we haven't even gotten into how you even got into addictions in the first place. That's okay. We'll get there eventually. If we don't, then this is gold. Uh, uh, tell me uh, about this enabling thing. What did your parents do that made you that made you look back and that says they never enabled this behavior? Well, uh, and we say parent. My my father had passed away before I got really bad. Okay. Uh, but my mom now. She enabled me in the fact of she gave me a place to stay. She let me use her vehicle. But she wasn't... I manipulated her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was all under the guise of helping me get clean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her and my grandma and my grandpa all... And, you know, it finally did get to the point where they said, you gotta go. Yeah. And she still continued to let me use her car, man. Yeah. She had another vehicle to use... Just purely so, I mean, literally, so that I wouldn't be sleeping on the street. So you, so, but other than that, I mean, she she wasn't giving me money. She wasn't, you know, what I mean, like she wasn't that person that was. Oh no, you're you're not feeling good because you need drugs here. Yeah, no, I think that's a difference though between enabling and bound, setting boundaries. You know, what does loving somebody in addiction look like? And man, there is no clear cut answer no. to that. You know, I, I, some people um, take the hard love approach and say you got to go, you can't come back, uh, you know, and completely cut off while you're in this lifestyle. And that's valid if it if that's what needs to happen for the person that you're talking to. But in other cases, it's just, I'm going to I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to enable you. I'm going to excuse me, let me cuz hard love is still love. Uh, let me rephrase. Uh, I am going to uh, let you in just a little, but not so much to where I'm, you know, a crutch. Yeah. Right. And if it, and I feel like as I hear your story, and I've heard it before, that this is how your mom responded. You know, um, she she wanted to help, but not so much to where it would um, encourage the behavior. Yeah. Is that and, about right? Yeah. And you know, something, and it's it's heartbreaking, really, to think about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I remember her and my grandma both, everyone in the family was, ah, oh, you just, you know what I mean? Be done with him, be done with him, be done with him. I said, he's still my son. He's still my grandson. Yeah. I'm going to do anything and everything I can to help him. Yeah. But like you said, they weren't going to feed my habit either. Right. So so for family members listening right now, I, I cannot stress enough, love them, don't leave them, but set limits. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, uh, if you if you like, uh, oh, what's it called when you use the same letter, letter over and over again? Uh, anyway, if you like those kind of sermon points, I just gave you three of them. Love them, <laughs> love them, uh, uh, don't leave them, and set limits. Right? Uh, that's really what it's all about, man. Um, and we are, uh, you know, uh, we are str- we struggle with how to do that. And I think that's important for people to understand that, you know, there is no there is no blueprint to this. It all depends upon the relationship that you have and the person that you're trying to help, right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Every yeah, every every case is different. Oh sure. You know, it is. I mean, I, I there I, I have friends that I've seen that literally the only thing that cut through to them was kicking them out on the street. And yeah. You're done. Yeah. And, 
Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes I mean, everybody's rock bottom is different. Oh, I think and, so. And every time I thought I hit rock bottom, it got worse too. So, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the addiction. Yeah. Okay. Um, how did you get into the addiction? What was rock bottom for you? Those, 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 yeah. Let's deal with those two pieces first. So, you know, and I, and I want to say something first. You know, yeah. we talked about that I grew up in faith and I did have this faith and I, I was a believer. But at the same time, Jesus says, you know, those who believe in me are going to obey me. <laughs> and sure. I, so I believed, but I had never submitted. Yeah. Yeah. I had never submitted to his will. I was selfish in the fact that I didn't want to give up my fun, my friends, my lifestyle, right? whatever it was. And, you know, so it really it started young when I was a teenager, smoking pot and drinking, and it was cool. Yeah. You know, a couple of my friends started doing it, and I liked the way it felt. Yeah. And, you know, before I was graduating high school, I was doing coke and eating pills all the time and um, it just escalated and, and you know looking back there was a lot of depression there I didn't like myself um, and I think that that kind of masked it mm. a lot sure you know sure and, and the famous saying of you know you're filling that trying to fill that god sized hole yeah. with drugs yeah, right. or alcohol or women right um, and really the only thing that is going to satisfy that is Christ so why why do you think you you weren't you, you had such low self esteem I was super bad for one <laughs> <laughs> not, not to like knock any I'm getting fat again you, you quit shooting up meth and all of a sudden you gain weight it's crazy <laughs> weird right yeah um, I mean that was a big part of it just Body image, self image, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, like I, my sister, my mom, my my brother, all like I recognize now have like social anxiety. Sure, and I've always kind of had that, which is weird because I'm kind of I'm like an extroverted introvert. Yeah, you know, no, I, I get there's you. Times where I just like uh, I'm awkward and I don't want to be around. I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. And there's other times where I can just be the life of the party. Um, so. But a lot of it, yeah, just I didn't have any self self worth. I didn't like myself. I didn't. So was your part of your addiction uh, so that you could fit in and be accepted? Was that part of the Was that part of the deal? I, I think so. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I hear people sometimes say, "This is the reason I started doing drugs." I didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think like, oh, I hate myself, so I'm going to do drugs. Well, I don't think anybody ever does that, yeah. right? Well, but I think that... Let's, but for, you can look back and you can yeah. kind of peg, hey, well, this is this is what was going on. And it, yeah. was, and it was fun. Right. I mean, I would be a liar if I said, you know, especially as a teenager, it, I liked it. A lot of things that we, uh, that, are, that, we sh- that are not good for us are fun to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So and I get that. So... Um, you know, it, it just kept progressing. Yeah. And the more that you do something, the more you want to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I constantly was breaking my own... What's the word I'm looking like? I would set a limit for myself. Like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do pills, but I'll never do coke. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I'll do coke, but I'll never smoke crack. Yeah. Well, I'll smoke crack, but I'll, ne- I'll never do heroin or meth. Well, okay, I'll do heroin, but I'll never shoot up. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it just so on and so forth. And heck, by the time I was 19, I was shooting up heroin. Yeah. 
And that went on for a while, just eating pills all the time. And that's a whole long story. God set me free from that. Yeah, he did. So, what was rock bottom for you then? I mean, you said you had you had every time you thought you hit it, you went further down. What was life like for you at rock bottom? At see, at that point, that was over ten years ago. Then I went through a whole other addiction. But I mean, I just sleeping on my cot in my buddy's grandparents' house, just living to get high. Mm. And every single night, I went to bed and I said, God. This what are you doing? You know what I mean. I'm not. I'm waking up tomorrow. Yeah. I'm not ever gonna do this again. Mm. And then I wake up the first, the next day, and the first thing I was doing was loading up a shot and getting high. Yep. And this also uh, dispels another myth of addiction. Um, I, I firmly believe that there is not an addict alive um, who says, "Man, I can't wait to shoot up tomorrow." <laughs> you know, I, I I think I think that thought is a very common thought. You know. Uh, man, I just, you know, I just don't want to wake up. I, I don't want to do this tomorrow. I don't want to do this tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's, a, I don't think anybody ever wakes up and says, you know, I think today I'm going to get addicted to something. No, yeah. <laughs> and it's, so the whole, is it an addict or is it a disease or a choice? I'm not even going to get into that argument. Right. It starts out with choices though. Yeah. I think it's both. Yeah, if yeah, I'm being I mean, honest yeah. with you. Because it, it does. It starts out with choices. But yeah. It gets to the point where. Especially with heroin, yeah, you you don't really have much of a choice. You no. literally feel like you're gonna die. Right, uh, right. I mean, the the initial uh, the initial uh, in, uh, choice is is a choice. You yeah. know, I think it's a lot like sin, right? This is why I, I equate sin to an addiction um, because uh, it, it starts with a thought that leads to a, a decision, and then you know eventually you don't even recognize it as a sin anymore. Right, uh, it just it just grows within you, and that's the same with addiction. You know, that first one, like I know I shouldn't do this, but whatever A, B, C, or D reason, yeah. I'm going to do it. And then, you know, if it's something like meth, addicted right from the beginning. Oh yeah, and then and that's exactly so. Like I said, God set me free from heroin. Yeah, and I was on fire until I wasn't. I slowly just started making concessions, hanging out with old people, smoking pot again, and you know, I went. Close to 10 years where I was not living a godly life at all, but I was living life. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I mean, I would, I, w- I went through stages where I would drink a lot. Yeah. Went through stages where I wouldn't drink at all. Yeah. Went through stages where I'd eat some pills. Went through stages where I wouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. it was just kind of up and down. And then it uh, got to the point, had a friend that was just coming down and doing coke with me every day for free. And uh, after about a year of that, you know, I started buying it. And then he showed up one day and said, hey, I got a surprise. Let's smoke some meth. Ooh. I was like, all right, you know. And, I mean, it was on from there. Yeah, right. It's, it's uh, If you've never done it, which I imagine most people listening to this, if you're listening, you're on some type of drug probably. But if you've never done it, don't. Man, yeah, it it will grab a hold of you, and it's uh, it's terrible. It's I, I can't explain the the mental because it's not like heroin where you get super deathly ill when yeah. you don't have it, but what it does to your mind and your emotions and your spirit mm. is just death. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, and and it's funny because you you, know, you 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 uh, you make a, an assumption that most of the people who listen to this are ho- hopefully, and that's great. Hopefully, that there's people struggling right now who are listening to this. But what we find is that this is more, uh, you know, our audience is more people who are in the church who have who have. Uh, you know, who have lives away from this that are learning about this, or they have a loved one that is learning about this. Uh, but yes, I, 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 you're exactly, you're exactly right. That the the mental job meth does on a person is undescribable. Yeah, it, right. It, when you when you have it, you're on top of the world. Yeah, it's a, a level of euphoria that. Aside from God, you cannot experience, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but when you don't have it, it is mental anguish. It is and physical fatigue, like I've never experienced. Too, you just don't want to move. You don't. Right. Want, you just want to sleep. Um, but I mean, just the the deepest, darkest depression I've ever fell into, and it was every time I wasn't high. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and you know, so I guess just to back up a little bit. A big part of me getting into the coke and the meth um, had to do with my dad dying. Okay. You know, I, I was already kind of eating speed pills a lot anyway, and I've always I always liked speed ever since I was a teenager. Anyway, so I was kind of apt to it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, my dad passed away, and I never really processed it. Mm. You know, I just, I mean, the, the day after I went, the day after he died, I went to work so spun on pain pills and, and speed that it was ridiculous. But I, it, but that's just how I dealt with it. I just. Yeah, by covering it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I literally would stand in front of the mirror for hours just getting high. Wow. Looking at myself thinking, like, seeing my dad in the mirror, you know oh, what I mean? Wow. And just. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't explain it. And, and so, I, I, that's something, you know, he says a lot of people listening aren't. People that are addicts were probably hurting pretty bad beforehand. Oh, yeah. Yep. You know, and that's something that people don't realize is that they're making these decisions based out of a hurt and a pain, anguish that, that they're feeling. And... These drugs make them feel better. I used to tell my mom that, you know, it was so messed up because the one thing that made me not want to kill myself was doing meth. Yeah. But the one thing that made me hate myself and want to kill myself was the fact that I did meth. Right. And it's just a, it's a perpetual cycle. Sure. I mean, that's the reason I got into my addiction, you know, um, you know, besides the fact that I was growing up in the environment uh, of addiction. You know, there was so much dysfunction and pain in my life that I needed something to cover up the pain. I needed I needed a distraction. Yeah. And drugs offered that because oh, they made you feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that um, that is a common denominator between why why people get into addiction. They have something that they don't want to feel, and so they give something that will make them feel better. Yeah, and it it masks it. Right, it covers it up. Right, yeah, but it, it doesn't ever solve it. And yeah. and this is why the cycle of addiction grows and grows and grows. Because when you get, if it healed you of it, then you would stop doing it, right? <clears throat> but what what we what you find 
is, you know, as you get into the addiction, the amount that you usually have to get high doesn't get you high anymore. And so those feelings start creeping back up. So you do more and more. And eventually that drug doesn't work. So you have to move on to a harder drug. And then it just, you further down the rabbit hole you get until you either get right or you die. You know, and that's, that's a harsh reality. You know, so you, you, you had your addiction, your, your first go around, you, you straightened out, God delivered you from heroin. You got back into it after your dad's passing. Is that right? Yeah. All right. So what got you out of it permanently? Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, how, how, how did Jesus enter into your story at that point? So, and you know, when, at the very beginning, we talked about the conviction yeah. of being someone who has faith and is an addict. Yeah. So that that never left and it and it only got worse. Sure. And knowing you know, I, I grew up saturated in the word. Yeah. I, I it's actually I love it. I, some of my earliest memories, my mom used to read the Bible to us every night before bed. That was yeah. our bedtime story. Okay. Uh so I there's these things I know. I know that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. I know that there's something more for me out there and knowing that I'm going against God's will, knowing that I'm not living out the life that he has for me, knowing that I am sinning against my Savior, it just kept compounding and compounding, which sadly, I just kept doing more drugs right, to cover that up. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so, you know, I was just telling somebody last night, it, you know, I, I thank God for a praying mother, praying grandmother, mm. praying family. Because I, I truly believe that them, and then also probably whatever God's plans for me are, yeah, must not entail me having a felony on my record. <laughs> because there's no reason whatsoever that I shouldn't be in prison. Yeah, you right. know, I, and so, but I, it got to a point where I felt like I can look back at at a pretty precise point in my life in addiction. And it's almost like I can see the hand of God lifting off me and saying, okay, this is your choice. Yeah. Now, now take it. Now, you know, I mean, you're going to suffer the consequences. Right. And uh, it was like I couldn't win for losing. Every friendship I had was falling apart. My family mm-hmm. was falling apart. I was walking the streets of Frankfurt without anywhere. I mean, I was begging people to stay at their house. And it was freaking miserably cold that November too or October and uh, I mean I literally had to beg my brother to let me keep my cl- a suitcase full of my clothes in his garage yeah just so I could swap clothes here and there and uh, I actually had uh, a friend who was uh, is actually still in addiction he saw how bad I was just spinning out of control and I was suicidal and he begged me. He said, "Dude, you got to go get help." And that—I well, mean, what a wake-up call for, <laughs> when, when for an addict is like, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when someone else that's shooting up meth and heroin is, is telling you, "Bro, you need to get help." Yeah. Which I mean, and it goes to show, which me and him have known each other since we were teenagers. He's actually one of the dudes I started like partying with when I was a teenager. Yeah. Uh, okay. But you know, I mean, close. My family and him. His girls call me uncle close so even in that addiction there's still that love there yeah right you know? yeah and uh you know people hear all the time oh there's no such thing as a real friend on drugs 
Yes and no. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, everyone's selfish when they're on dope, but at, at the very least, I had him yeah. who showed... They are and, capable of being yeah. friends. They are capable of loving. Yeah, and, and God, I think, worked through him, too. Yeah. But he told me, I said, dude, I tell you what, I'm not... I, I just don't even care to live anymore. I don't care to try. If you get me in somewhere, I'll go. He stayed up all night researching, finding somewhere that would take hit. Uh, woke me up in the morning. Said, hey, call this number now. Called, it was a terror treatment center down uh, on 31 in between Franklin and Edinburgh. Talked to him. Yeah, we got a spot for you. You can come. It was whatever, like five days or something like that. I was like, all right, excellent, you know. And let my family know. And, oh, gosh, I just, the joy that they were feeling knowing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the time came. And, of course, that night before, it was just like, Everything I could do, to, I just got to get high one more time. Right, right, right. Uh, but I get there, and <laughs> I took like four Bibles with me. <laughs> I'm going to be covered one yeah, way or the yeah. other. <laughs> no, no shortage of Bibles in my suitcase. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there was a uh, a church there in Edinburgh. I can't remember the name of it. I would like to go back sometime. Just, But anyway, that they would come and pick us up every week for church. And so this was a month long like detox basically. Yeah. And man, I just I remember going and the whole time they'd be doing praise and worship, I'm just standing there crying. And it was just like God just washed me. You know what I mean? All that shame yeah. and that guilt and yeah. that um and I was I was seeking him and I was trying trying to get in the word and stuff and you know, and I've told you this before, I've told everybody here, but uh I sat down one day and I just, I had hardened my heart against God yeah. for so long. I yeah. had turned my back on him so many times that it it was like I had built a wall yeah. between me and God. And, and I think that's part of what those church services were, was God breaking down that wall. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm sitting there by myself. I got my Bible in my hands and I just started crying. I said, God, I, I need you. I know that I need you. Mm. I know that you are the only way that I'm ever going to make it out of this. But I don't know what to do. Yeah. Because I, I'm trying, and I just feel distant, and I can't. And I said, you know, I was like, I know that this isn't the way that it works all the time, but I need you to speak to me right now. I'm going to open this Bible up. I need something. Cracked it open. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5. talking about... You know, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Yep. And I uh, consecrated you. And basically, I had set you aside for a purpose, which in right. Jeremiah's case, he's talking about that he had set him aside as a prophet for the nations. And But it was like in that moment, man, I just felt enveloped in God's love and reminded me that he knew me before he even made me. Mm. And like I said earlier, he knew every mistake I was ever going to make. He right. knew every decision. He knew I was going to be right there that day calling out to him. Right. And I just, I was crying and laughing and snotting all over myself. And just, it was like a weight off of my shoulders. Yep. Man. And, you know, something that, this is, I got to work on my testimony for graduation, actually. So, but this is part of it that I'm, I want to work with is that the, the, the story Jesus tells of the prodigal son. Yeah. Is, is I, I relate to it so much. 
uh, you know, he grew up knowing the love of his father. Right. And, and knowing the blessing of being in his father's home. Just like I grew up knowing the love of my Heavenly Father. Yeah. Knowing the blessing. And because of my own selfish desires and choices and unwillingness to submit to what was best for me, really, I went out just like him to chase sin. Yeah. Essentially. And, you know, it talks about that he, he was basically wished that he could eat the, the pig slop or the pods or whatever. Yeah. And he, he came to the realization, man, the, the, the servants at my dad's house live better than I do. Yes. And yeah. it is like it basically paints a picture of like he just had like that light bulb click yep. above his head. And you know, and I feel like that I had that moment. Sure you did. And then uh I, you know, and I heard it taught one time that, you know, as as he's walking back to his dad's house, his father sees him from a distance. Yep. And he runs out to meet him. Yes. And for one, I guess at that time period, especially wealthy yeah. people, they did not run. No. It was a sign of disgrace. or. Well, yeah, because when he hiked up his robe, he kind of exposed himself a little bit. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it was it was not, not kosher. Yeah. So he ran out. He didn't wait for him to get no. home. He ran out and he met him where he was. Yep. And that was me in that moment at Terra. God, Jesus met me right there where I was. Yep. And, and he, and, and like, you know, it says that he embraced him. Dude, I, it was like I could feel God embracing me in that moment. And just. I love it. Love and compassion and reminded me of, of who I was in him. Mm. And something that is so big that if I could get across to anybody and everybody is that all of my life, since I've been a teenager, I struggled with the fact that, you know, I did all these things. I knew I was doing all these things wrong, right? Yeah, right. And in the in, in my heart, I wanted my life right with God. And it was always, well, I got to fix this. I got to stop doing that. Yep. This and that and that so that I can get my life right with God. Yep. But in reality, the answer is get your life right with God. And he will take care of all these problems. Which is what this means by, you mentioned it earlier, and this is what we'll end on. Uh, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It is not the more I'm obedient or the more the harder I work, the more, I, the more God's love will be with me. No, when I love God, I will naturally be obedient because mm-hmm. he takes over, right? I can't, I can't work on an addiction unless I get Christ first, you know? And that's why I've always said, uh, whenever you bring up, you know, would I ever bring an addict into church? Yes. I will always bring an addict into church because I'm more worried about their salvation first and then we'll worry about the addiction second, right? And that's true of anything. I can't put Christian standards on non-Christian people. You know, they just don't get it yet, but they will because when God's love envelops them, right, and, 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 and just comes over them, they'll want to be obedient, right? Yeah, so, and that's something that, uh, so it would have been summer 2019. Yeah. I was going to church in Lafayette, lightweight, trying to get right, you know? Yeah, yeah, And that was something the pastor said. He said, I don't care if you're high. Yeah. Come to church. Yes. Because one way or another, you're going to be high. You might as well be high and in church than high and not in church. 
You know, I agree if, wholeheartedly. If you're living with a woman or a man outside of marriage, yeah, go to church, yeah, because you're already doing that thing wrong. You might as well get some word of God. Right. Ideally, we would want people, perfect people, because in church, but that's not reality, <laughs> right? Reality is everyone sucks, <laughs> you know, and, and we need we need Jesus, yeah. right? So, all right, uh, we have Real to. Quick. Yes, by all means, finish it up. Sorry, no, no, you're fine. I, I gotta, love this. I got to plug Trinity. Okay. Before I go, no, uh, so, go for it. After leaving Terra, yeah, I was able to get into Trinity Life Transformation in Crawfordsville. If you know someone that is hurting or sick in addiction, send them, fill out the application for them, help them fill out the application, try to get them in here because this place is not a rehab. And like we've been talking about, they don't focus on the addiction. I, I can tell you I've spent a year here and very little, pretty much none of the time in class or whatever do we talk about addiction? Yeah. We talked about Christ because addiction is nothing but a symptom of our life and sin and it's a heart problem. Yes. So they let Jesus fix our hearts and the sin, the, the symptoms go away. I uh, Yeah. And, and to our audience, um, you know, because of COVID and everything going on, Trinity has, uh, has uh, the potential to lose 75% of their funding that they get every year. Um, so if you want to learn more, uh, you can um, uh, you can go to uh, Trinity's website. Just Google Trinity Life Ministries, Crawfordsville, Indiana. You'll get you'll get brought to the right website, and you'll find out how you can donate there, or send me an email, Larry at Community Transformation Partners org. Um, and I will connect you to the right people. Um, with that, Stephen, I want to say thanks, man. Thank I have you. loved this conversation. This has yeah. been amazing for it's me. Uh, and we will uh, we will definitely be talking again. Uh, I can't wait for you to move into the house in December. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we are looking forward to it. If, you, uh, if you're listening and you want to learn more about CTP, uh, you can uh, go to our website, communitytransformationpartners.org. Uh, you already got my email. You can email me. And, and this show is, is, is uh, brought to you by uh, donations from you. So if you would like to donate uh, to CTP, you can go to our website, communitytransformationpartners.org forward slash donate to learn more. Guys, thank you so much. And as always, peace, love, and soul. Wow, wow, wow.